You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is weird. I don't know why I'm getting so deep into this, but like, whatever, here we are. Sometimes I feel bad about bringing it up because it wasn't as bad as like other, like so many people have it. I, for, I had, I had like, sometimes they even refer to it as cancer light because like, because <laughs> it wasn't really that bad, but man, it, it, it messed me up, messed me up hard. Um, so like, yeah, I, I definitely was like, now I'm going to use this as like motivation to like push to make this thing happen. Cause I've been talking about making a feature for a long time and making shorts for a long time. And so now it's like time. Um, but that feeling hasn't really gone away. Um, I, it's, it makes me want to do more. Hey, what's up Vox and Hops heads. I'm Matt, the vocalist of Trip Top C and the host of the Vox and Hops metal podcast brought to you by sound, telemedia and evergreen podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. I hope that you've been having a killer week. I most certainly have been. I'm super stoked that pit culture, my massive global beer collab, which is presented by metal injection and powered by Yakima chief hops is now in full swing. There have been two of the 26 planned collabs that have dropped so far. We've had a collab drop in Japan. We've had a collab drop in the States. I have teamed up with 26 breweries from U.S., Canada, Mexico, Denmark, France, Italy, Cyprus, Japan, and Australia to educate the world about what truly happens in a mosh pit. If you'd like to keep up to date with everything that's happening with pit culture, head on over to my website, voxenhops.com slash pit culture, and you will be able to find all of the pertinent details there. I am so damn stoked to have Metal Injection and Yakima Chief Hops behind Pit Culture. I'm super stoked that on today's Artist Spotlight, I'm shining some light on Hatchling. Hatchling are an Indiana experimental death metal band for fans of Cephalic Carnage, Emperor, Naraxis, and Cryptopsy. Get ready, everyone. This is their track, When I Was Plasma.
that was sick. When I Was Plasma is taken from their forthcoming album Spectral Contingency, which is coming up soon. If you enjoyed this track, you should absolutely go check out their Bandcamp. I have put the link to that in the description of this podcast and support them. They got a whole bunch of killer material up there, so you should absolutely go and check that out. Massive thanks to Hatchling for being a part of today's Vox and Hops Artist Spotlight. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hospital podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that loves movies, specifically weird movies, well, you should let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal podcast exists. You could tell them that there are over 400 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. If you would encourage one of your movie buff friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with my old friend, Adam Ryder, the director of Woodland Gray. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 402. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with my longtime friend, Adam Ryder, the director of Woodland Gray. Um, We've known each other for over 20 years so when i was growing up in the montreal metal scene adam was always there he uh, promoted a show that i played which we'll talk about a little bit later but it's sort of like built like these little connections throughout my career because of that show i'm talking about obey the flame fest back in 2003 uh but let's start with a simple adam how you doing I'm well. I'm great to be. I mean, I'm great to be here. I am good. The 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 the, the happy and uh, all the good. The yes. <laughs> I'm off to a great start. No, you're doing great. We are recording this at a Thirsty Thursday virtual hang. I love doing these. The first Thursday of each month, I hang out as we did throughout the pandemic every Thursday, enjoying life, metal, and craft beer, and conducting a live interview. Very very stoked to to finally be back, be with you, be hanging out with you. Before we let everyone into the meeting, I was. Like, I can't even remember the last time I saw you. I, I literally don't remember, and you don't remember either. So it might have been in 2003. No, I hope not. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, uh, when we get into it, we can talk about why that might not be so crazy. It's really fine. I'm excited. <laughs> well, well, let's let's fast forward in 20 years into the future. How has 2023 been so far for you, Adam? So far, so good. Uh, I mean, 2023 just started, but like, if you, if we like say a year ago today, uh, this past year has been great. I got married. So that's really, really exciting. Um, and uh, I had a film that's out and it was doing pretty well in the film festival circuit, picking up some, uh, some pretty cool awards and getting some, getting some traction. So yeah, all around, I say it's, uh, it's great. How, how does that is that now i'm i'm very well versed in the world of music obviously but i am not as well versed in the world of cinema so how important are winning awards to a first-time director because this uh, woodland grave was it was your first feature-length film yeah that's right for first feature actually technically the first feature-length fiction film i did a a full-length documentary about uh and asked well, awards are pretty good. Well, at like my account, like my, uh, I guess my level awards are pretty important because I'm not getting, uh, showcased at like Sundance or Cannes or anything like that. So a, a lot of it has to do with, um, the feasibility of making the next film. So if you could show people that you made a film, it's, it was, 
at least somewhat profitable. Hopefully, I mean, if it made the money back that you put in even better, but if it's like, if it got distribution, if it's out there and it's getting recognized and it's get some, some awards, um, then it's good. Uh, it's pretty good. It's very exciting. I'm, I'm so damn stoked for you. Uh, congrats on the wedding. Congrats on all the uh, acclaim for Woodland Grays. Uh, I liked it very much. It was a very, very interesting watch. Uh, I actually watched it while I had the flu, so it was like a perfect pairing. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it was about a year ago that I watched it. I, I revisited it before tonight again. Uh, we'll dig more into that later, but it's Vox and Hops, uh, so we got to talk. We got to get into this. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives and music while sharing craft beer. So so what beer do you have on your side, or what drink do you have on your side tonight that we're going to be sharing virtually? So I have this uh, Microbasserie Le Castor drink over here now here's the thing is that i don't really drink i uh i i maybe have one alcoholic beverage every year really maybe well, I, two well i'm glad i'm glad you're, you're you're using it up to hang out with me on a vox and hops episode yeah and, and so i tried this one i went camping uh, uh sometimes i like to go camping alone and like splurge and have a drink and i had and i was like i didn't know what to pick because i don't really drink very often but i picked this guy and uh, i really liked it so i picked it again for this for this occasion um but i because i really don't drink this is enough to get me like really i gonna have to take it slow because i don't want to fall off my seat halfway through this interview no no you got this uh, moderation is important people as we talk about a lot on vox and hops so you can always pair it with some water i'll have you talking so much that it'll be hard for you to even take a sip so so don't 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 worry too much about that le castal's oatmeal stout is a delicious beer i truly 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 mean that and le castal definitely a gateway microbrewery for myself their yakima ipa probably eight nine years ago at this point just totally took me over my life and i had to drink it and find more and what is this hoppy profile and i just kept going on my side i'm going to be drinking uh something cool something that one of our friends one of the thirsty thursday gang uh helped create uh this is lorica from gallicus it's a black ipa and it's a collab with metal minded which uh Yale is a member of the thirsty thursday gang he comes and hangs out sometimes uh and uh, it's a collab with his uh, podcast his facebook group uh very cool group, uh, Metal Minded. If you have not checked it out and you do speak French and you're bilingual, then absolutely go check them out because they do killer, killer content. And uh, this is cool. Black IPA, 6%. Yes, yeah, 6% Black IPA. I've had it before. It's amazing. I'm going to crack this. And I would love to hear about your very first beer, Adam. Do you remember the first beer that you ever drank? Uh, I definitely remember, like, a first beer. I was with uh, my buddy Dave back in the day. And, like, we tried to buy beer and at the time like the the, the depeners weren't being super strict about what what constitutes id and we had a guy who was able to like he had a laminating machine and he re-laminated my high school identification and printed it up on this like piece of paper on the back that said it was older and the the uh the guy let us buy i think it was something called oh i it was like Ice? No, it was, it was. It had like a fractal design. I don't know if that sounds familiar. So it was like in the mid night. It was like ninety three, ninety four, or something, maybe ninety five. And it had this like crazy fractal de design. I want to say it had the word ice on it, but a lot, a lot of beers had ice on it. it. Was like black ice or this ice, Molson ice. The the, the, the it was like cold beer was something that sold. Like how is it possible? 
to get it colder. How, how, we must get it colder as close to ice as possible. And then, the, like, the, then there was like a thing the in the mid 2000s where like Heineken, I think it was Heineken, at the bars, the, their taps would be covered in ice. I don't know if you guys ever saw this, but that, that was a thing. <laughs> I bet bar owners love that. And so did Black Mold. So... <laughs> So so you buy this first this first beer illegally with the laminated machine from your high school ID and then what is the story of this you go into the woods I assume you go to a park Yeah exactly the tri- yeah typical there was a, okay it wasn't so much the woods there was like an empty field and so we grabbed this it was like a six pack went out there into the woods uh or the, this field it was like a like where there used to be something there. And I think it was just like dilapidated. It was like people tossing their garbage into this place. And we found a couple of rocks facing each other and we were just drinking it. And I remember thinking to myself, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like this at all, but I feel like I need to drink this. And, and my, my buddy was like drinking it as well. And I think I can't tell if he, I think he liked it, but I was really like, I'm going to pretend that I'm into this because I feel like that's what I need to do. And, um, and that's, yeah, that was my first experience drinking beer. It wasn't, I mean, I think I had one and was like, I don't, I don't know what the the thing is. (laughs) (laughs) So you never became a big craft beer nerd like myself. It's never something that, that, got you hooked Um, beer. was never something or alcohol was never something that enthralled you. Uh, not really. Although, uh, I mean, I, I was a heavy drinker when I was a, when I was younger and I actually started to drink so much that it was really hard to get drunk and it was, it was so super expensive. And so like just trying to get to the, get to the hardest stuff that I could. And so I wasn't really drinking for pleasure. And then I, and then, uh, a bunch of things happened. One, I like, I, a few years ago, I, uh, spoiler alert, I'm okay now, but I had cancer and like, they're like, you probably shouldn't be drinking in the future as well. And so I was like, okay, so I, that was one of the reasons why I gave it up, but also it's just too expensive. And I it sort of got into whiskeys more so, but I had a friend who, um, who was really into beer, uh, Craig Sove, who was on your show. And, uh, he introduced me to like, if I had to try, if I was like outside of his experience sharing beer with me, I thought beer just tasted awful, but he introduced me to someone's, some beer that I was like, Oh, this is really good. Like, a like, um, there was a really good cream ale, uh, that I can't find in Montreal anymore. Um, showed me that like beer had a little bit more than just like the, the really like, Oh, what is it, like Milwaukee's finest or something? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Milwaukee's best. Yes. Milwaukee's best. Wasn't there two Milwaukee's? There was like a oh, old Milwaukee. Old Milwaukee was definitely, ugh. yeah, I can, I can smell it. Just thinking, just seeing the blue label, that white and then the blue writing I, flashbacks, horrible flashbacks. Uh, shout out to Craig Sauvé, definitely a Vox and Hops alumni. Uh, he's also the city councilor that made Montreal a metal city, which is super fucking cool. The soundtrack of your youth, when you were growing up in your parents' or guardians' house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents' or guardians listen to? Uh, well, okay, my, my, let's see. My mother was like, was really into the Beatles. Uh, my dad liked sort of, uh, I don't know how you, I guess soul. He liked all kinds of music, like rock and stuff, but he really liked soul. Like that song, uh, Land of a Thousand Dances, you know, na, 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 na. So he, he loved that song. Um, so they were, they were into that. Um, but I, yeah, I think when I was a kid, I, I went from my, my gate. Okay. This is great. My gateway 
drug for music was Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah. So I was like listening to whatever my brother, older brother was listening to at the time. He was like into rap tracks, um, whatever was like, you know, pop and rap at the time. Uh, but then I list, I like, I thought Weird Al was really funny. And then I got Smells Like Nirvana and I was like, what? This, what is, what is this? this? Distortion. Yeah. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is awesome. And so I listened to that. My, I had a cousin who was really into Kiss. Um, and he like, he made me a tape once, but he put, <laughs> I was too young for it. I wasn't ready, but he, my first ever album I ever got, it was a bootleg that he made of Cannibal Corpse's Tomb of the Mutilated. No way. And I was like, I don't under, I don't, I just, I couldn't wrap my head I, around I it. Completely understand. Yeah. So, so Weird Al, like this loud music was really cool. And then I started listening to Metallica uh, and Metallica became my, my like, that was my favorite band for a very long time. Um, so that was all, you know, I would listen to all of it, listen to Slayer a lot. Uh, Megadeth, I think like, you know, the, the I was going to say the big four, but not so much uh, Anthrax. But my, I think my taste got like heavier and heavier. People kept telling me it was going to like, this phase was going to pass and I was going to start, it was going to mellow out a little bit more. And like, I, it just keeps getting heavier and heavier. And I'm just like, still not loud enough, still not fast enough. I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, I, a lot of people say you're going to grow out of this. And it's, it's metalheads don't grow out of things that they love. It's, it's a part of our essence. It's a part of who we are. And some people do, but I guess they were posers. No, but it's just, <laughs> I'm joking. You can like whatever you like and then not like it. It's okay. You know how it is. Uh, your first shows. Um, now, when we started this, for some reason, I thought you played in a band called Bitter Rind. I had that memory, but I was wrong. Were you ever a musician? Is that, is that, did you ever end up playing shows? I, God, I may have played, I've been in and, in and out of bands like that, like never did more than one or two shows. Um, I actually made a few years ago. I thought it was fun, actually maybe less than a few years, maybe a year ago, possibly during the pandemic. I thought it was funny if I made a poster for a music festival that had every band I had ever been in. That's that cool. Never played like more than two <laughs> shows, and it was like a full like set of bands. But back then, I think my most like memorable band was a band called the Shirtless Weenie Guys. Okay. Um, and uh, we we did like it was like a punk band that did like a gr like a grind style sets of like four to seven seconds per song. <laughs> um, and the song titles were way longer than the songs themselves. And we did a I remember we did like a tribute to a black metal band. We were like we wrote <laughs> we were just like fucking around. And we thought it would be funny if we did like a black metal song. Uh, and we told everybody that we thought it would be great if the audience sang along with us. And so we printed out lyrics to some random like Dimu Borgir song, like first album, Dimu Borgir, full Norwegian, and just handed it out and then just like blasted for as long as we could keep up. <laughs> And we're like, and I remember our singer was like, sing, everybody sing. But like, obviously no one knows what's happening. Um, so yeah, that was uh, probably the most successful band at that time that I was in. I yeah, I was, I've been trying to like get musical projects off the ground for such a long time that now I just, I just, I'm just a one man band now. So. <laughs> Which is something that happens when, when, when you keep trying, you keep trying and then things fall apart and then you still determine to do it yourself. It's a great thing about now 
with technology is that you can do it mostly by yourself much easier than back in the day for sure. Yeah. I mean, there are some like people who were able to pull it off back in the mm-hmm. day as well. I'm like dude from cloud kicker is yeah. like a yeah. good example. Yeah. Um, and even to some degree, like, uh, Justin, what's his name from Godflesh and Jesu, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, uh, I'm terrible with names, but dude from strapping young lad. I mean, like he, like, you know, these people, they just, they do it themselves and they get people to come in and play. And it's like, it's awesome. It's, it's great. Speaking of strapping young lad, we'll get there. But before that, I want to talk about the scene, the, the Montreal scene back in 2002, 2003. Maybe I'm just an old grumpy man now. It's probably the answer. Uh, what is the big difference or why is more so my question. Why was there so many amazing bands coming out at that exact time? Like exactly when I joined what became Three Mile Scream, there was Endas, there was Invade, there was Tantrum, there was the Agonist was in the early forms of uh, becoming a created, you know, despised icon. Why, why Beneath the Massacre, Ion Dissonance, all from Montreal, all would hang out at Foofs. We'd all spend those crazy nights at Foofs just, just enjoying far too many horrible shots of dirty, dirty liquor. What was it about that time and that, that community uh, that, that created something so interesting? I don't know, man. It was special. I, I don't see it really now. I, I try to think of like, what what caused that sort of perfect storm? Uh, I, th- I think that there was a you know um, the possibility. Uh, like, well, first of all, you know, like as you know better than anybody, the Montreal is just has it in our in our blood that we just create good music, good good metal music here. So I think already we're like this is possible. If these bands could do it, uh, we could do it. Um, and then there was just a group of people who were just really into this music, all the same place, all the same time. I, I would say a lot of it had to do with the, um, the Dawson college radio station was like a big deal. There was like a, a huge, like, uh, metal fandom that sort of grew. I don't want to, it didn't grow out of that station, but it was like cultivated with that station. I think like the, having, um, all age venues was a big thing. Sal Delex, I think was like. The re- like one of the biggest reasons I think that because those shows were accessible, like you could anybody could book those shows. You had like Salle de Lex, it was like Link Conditionnel. Um, there was a few other venues that people were just like doing this DIY stuff. Um, and uh, and then and we were also really supportive. And there was like a there was like a hustle to it, right? It wasn't just like I'm gonna do something, I'm putting my band together, I'm gonna post about it online and hope that people show up. It was like you had to get out there and like hand out flyers at the end of a show. You had to be putting up flyers with like condensed milk. I don't know if you ever did that. The condensed milk glue. Uh, you had to like paper the whole city and I just hustle anytime you see anybody, you're just like letting everybody know. So I think that the the the, the all of those things, there's not one thing combined, but all of those things sort of created the perfect storm. Um I mean, metal itself was exploding in a way that, like, was not happening at any other time. There was all these genres that were emerging. And, like, as soon as, you know, like, the uh, Swedish death metal bands and black metal bands were able to physically get to Montreal, we're like, this is, there's something happening here. We were just losing our minds. Whether your your best friend is on stage or a guy you know in another class who's on stage or, or like, this album that you picked up at... Uh, whatever number of record stores that still existed back then. It was just a community to be there. And it was just, I oh mean, it's, it was so special. It's like that time in my life, I, I hold so dear to my heart. It just it made lifelong friends. 
just such a special thing to be part of a community like that. And I, I don't think that many people outside of that, that time period really get like, you know, what it is that you're talking about, what I'm talking about. It's really, we're very, very privileged and lucky to have lived in that time. It was, it was unbelievable. And I sort of just fell into it. Shout out. Once again, I said it many times. There's probably been a few episodes. I haven't said it. Mike Marino, I would not be anywhere if it wasn't for Mike Marino calling me, asking me to join Three Miles Scream, bringing me into this scene. I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head about, um, BCI shows at the medley definitely fostered a lot of the Montreal scene. That was who was bringing in all those international acts. We'd all go see them. The Dawson hundred percent hit the nail there too. I feel I could be wrong. Michelle Ayub, who owns turbo house was oftenly there. So it was all these people like through our community and the scene that all passed through these connections in our lives. And we've all sort of evolved into different things and different paths. And it's like a big spider web of connectivity, but it's all sort of branched back to those very, very intense Friday nights at Fofone Electric upstairs. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it wasn't only the English uh, people too. like we had it was interesting like my french isn't very great but I, I remember being connected with uh stephen henry and uh louise oh i forget her last name who had this really great zina uh song frere yes yes it was amazing and then there's bang bang back then too all these other um, yeah, yeah, yeah. small media things that were covering music it was amazing montreal montreal is a crazy city and i'm happy to be from here and i'm happy that we connected that long ago something that you did that was massive a huge endeavor uh which caused many connections even more connections in the spider web is obey the flame fest back in 2003 um it was a big festival there was a lot of really big bands it was at fufonetic over two days uh some of the headliners were strapping young lad which i remember sitting and watching that set from upstairs at foofs i think it was the first time i'd been upstairs at foofs and being like holy shit Watching Gene Hogan play drums for the first time in the flesh was amazing. Skinless Simulation, E-Force, which was um, Eric from Voivod's band. Uh, talk to me about putting this fest together because it, it was, to be somewhat polite, it was a bit of a shit show. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, I can tell you that, at the like, somebody should have stopped me from doing this. Because were you somebody a promoter before this, though? I, like... Uh, yeah, but like some small local shows, like I didn't really do very much. I think I uh, was it before this. I don't on, I don't remember the timeline, but I def I put on the first like major show. I think I did was Guar. Really? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I brought Guar. They were they were banned from Canada for a while, and uh, I was looking to uh, to do to sort of step it up, and was able to get Guar in, and. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it was like some serious learning, lost a ton of money on that show based on like, just for various reasons. Um, one of them is that like, if you've ever been to club soda since then, you'll notice in the back that there, that there's no carpeting in the back stage. And the reason for that is, is that when I had gore, they destroyed everything with all their blood backstage i had everything covered in the front but in the back so that even that like whatever <laughs> even i was already losing money at the time but anyway I, it was a lot of like hard learning but i i was like stubborn and like i my goal 
I, I used to go to the Vans Warped Tour a lot because uh, that was like the closest you can come to like a multi-stage festival with loud music at the time. And I remember I, I used to have a press pass and was able to get backstage and talk with different people. And I met Kevin Lyman, who is the, the creator of that festival. Um, and we had a very brief interaction. And it was something like, hey, how long are you going to do this for? And he said, until somebody makes something better than me. And I said, is that a challenge? And he said, go for it. And he was wearing these socks that had flames on them. And I was like, obey the flame. It is a good name. I'll give you that. The name was was catchy. So I had like this idea to make like a, a, a festival that was like similar to what you would find in Europe. Um, and we were looking, I had looked at doing a doing the show at Jean Drapeau and at... Uh, um, I had contacted people there and security there and like was in contact with like stage line, like the giant stages and everything. And I had looked at doing this at Molson stadium and like the logistics of all that. Uh, I, I built this up. It was like a dream. And at one point we had Miss Sugar was going to be on the show. Um, we had, I mean, it just all kinds of, all kinds of bands were like starting to get, get into this thing. And, but there was like every problem that you could possibly imagine was happening for this show. I mean, bands like that couldn't get across the border, uh, bands that there was immolation was scheduled to play, but they never played because they the drummer had a hernia and wasn't able to play. And they tried to like get these back tra- backing tracks just for the drums. They couldn't do it. So they weren't able to come. And Ensign, uh, uh, was like a hardcore band, wasn't able to come. And I mean, there was just like one problem after another. And one of the biggest problems that, that we had um, and, uh, I mean, I love Foofs with all my heart, but at the time, the guy I was dealing with th- there said, here's the deal. We're going to, we'll help with the show. We'll cover all of the advertising you cover. You'll take care of everything else. And I said, great. And they were not advertising. And then two weeks before the show, I was like, guys, there's nothing out there. And then they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to start advertising and then they put up put up posters like two weeks before and at the time like i didn't have a there was like not a lot of social media there wasn't like i didn't have like a big web presence and i was just trying to hustle as hard as i could um but but the show had picked up such momentum that i couldn't not have the show and by the time the show came the day the show came for funds like before we opened this so I don't know if you remember this. There was three stages. I do. I do. There was one downstairs. Yeah, there was one downstairs, which means we had to close. We closed the entire bar. It's the first time I've. They've probably never done that again. They. There was a first and last time. Because <laughs> <laughs> we closed the entire place, wow. and then the guy was like, "Listen, I am going to suggest that you cancel the third stage on the bottom. Just this is the day of the show. Just tell all the bands that you can't do it." And uh, so we can open the bar so we can at least make some money at the bar because there's not a lot of tickets that have been sold. And I was like, we can't do that because we need to sell tickets so I can pay for this thing. And if, if we do that, people are just going to be downstairs. It was and there was like, the, I mean, <laughs> people were sneaking into that show and I was like taking it personally. And uh, people were just like coming in. And I had this. um Look, there was a, there was a lot of shit that went down at that show, but I'll just tell you wh- how bad it was. I don't I don't have to go into the, as many details as to why it was so bad, but if I may, <laughs> I, I'm 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 very eager because I I have my whole side of this, which I'll go into afterwards. Just my memories of that night. Sure. 
Um, we did. I mean, look, we we were supposed to have a stage manager on every stage. We had one stage manager to jump between two stages. There was, uh, and and one of them, and then at some point it was just the sound guy doing it. Um, we had people stealing equipment from like the first band that was on stage stole microphones. Um, we had like. Um, <laughs> Uh, we had a band that like refused, like they didn't have the proper gear, but refused to cut their set. So like everything got pushed by like 40 minutes because there was no like stage manager to be like, Hey, get the fuck off the stage. It like everything, everything got like shifted. There was like, man, there's so many issues. And, and we had, we had asked, like I, I had asked local bands that it was a pay-to-play situation for local bands, and it, I did that not because I, I was I was already going to lose money, but I was like, I need help to pay for this, and like I'm like, if you if you're a local band, my my thinking at the time was like, if you're a local band, if you pay X, I forget how much it was, but if you pay X amount of dollars, um, then you could say you opened for Strapping Young Lad, you you played at this festival, and like that's good to put on a thing, and like you'll get, you know, there'll be people who wouldn't see you as like exposure, and like, you know, um, and and uh, people didn't like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so we're getting to the end of the, it's it's like not at the end of the show, but there's like three or four bands left. Um, God forbid had just played and I'm looking around and I am in the deepest, darkest panic of my life because there's not enough people. I don't have any money. I'm just a fucking kid and I have to pay all these other, all these touring acts. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I am going to die tonight. Like somebody is just going to, they're going to kill me. I really felt like I'm going to die tonight. (laughs) And I was like in the bathroom. Uh, I may, I uh, honestly, I can't tell. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to like be manly about this. It's possible. I might've been crying or maybe I was on the verge of tears. One of the other. And I was like, you know what? I am just going to leave. I'm going to go to the bus station. <laughs> I'm going to get on the bus and I'm just going to go. And whatever will happen will happen. Wow. So I leave the venue. I oh, leave really <laughs> I really left. I left and I'm halfway down. I'm, I'm like maybe two blocks away from Fafuns. And I forgot that I was wearing my like walkie talkie with like the head thing. And somebody gets on the phone on, on the thing goes, uh, Adam, a uh, guy from God forbid here. He uh, wants to get paid. And I was like, okay, I'm coming. And then I like stopped and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and I am going to get, the most severe beating of my life. Wow. And this is, this is how it's going to go. So I like sort of summon all the courage that I have. And I like walk into Fufuns and I go upstairs to the office. And uh, I think it was Dallas. Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Doc, yeah, yeah, one of the, the guitarist brother. Yeah. Yeah. Is waiting for me. And uh, I'm, I'm ready to be like, so here's the thing. I don't have it. I was going to just rip the bandit off. I don't have your fucking money, <laughs> but he's there and he's counting money. And I was like, cool. What's going on? And the, and Fufuns is like, all right. So we did a tally of like how many tickets you've sold. We're going to, what we're going to do. We're going to pay all the bands tonight. And then we're going to let you know how much you owe us and you can pay it. And you'll pay us later. And I was like, thank the good sweet Lord. And, uh, and so, 
you know, fast forward a few weeks, I got this invoice for thousands of dollars. And uh, my dad had heard stories about Fafuns, but my dad was like, there's no way I want to be in debt to anybody mm-hmm. dangerous. And so he just wrote a check. Uh, really? I mean, I did not come from a family that could write checks like this, but he wrote a check and, and uh, that was that. Um, but it is, I can tell you without, without exaggeration, that is one of the three worst days of my life. Un- unbelievable. See, I did not hear any or know of any of that. I played the gig. Um, we played early Sunday. I think there was three people in the room. It was one of those. It happens. It happens, people. Three miles scream to three people. It's thematic. I like it. I have memories of the night. One of them is watching Gene Hoagland. That was another amazing. I remember we were all in this room because Foof is bigger than you think it is. And we were in this weird room that I've never been to ever again where all the bands were. And Ashes of Eden were playing that night. And the guitarist... I won't say his name out of respect. His appendix was bursting. I don't know if you remember this. He was lying on the ground, writhing in, in agony because his appendix was about to burst, but he went up and played nonetheless. And then he went to the hospital and that, that happened. And they only I, did three, three songs uh, that uh, night. They that, got their set cut and they were fucking pissed. <laughs> um, but it's probably for the better now that he was on the verge of death. Uh, first time I met Devin, he walked by and was like super, super nice to everyone. Uh, that's that's my memories of Obey the Flame. Oh, I oh, know. And I met Bloodshot Eye. That's where we met Bloodshot Eye, which led to they really like Three Mile Scream. Um, they came to record with JF Dajner. Randy Bly was in town to produce Jessica's vocals. Uh, that ended up being Randy Bly slept on my guitarist's couch with his wife. We hung out a bunch. That's how I met Randy and how I had him on the podcast. So, so a lot of things came from Obey the Flame, and I, and I did not know it was that. I knew it was shitty, but I didn't know it was that shitty for you. <laughs> it was so shitty. I'm not even telling you half this. Like that's the stories go go on and on, but the truth is, is like. When, when we were talking earlier, you said, like, how long has it been? I said it might have been then. Because I imagine my band was probably one of the ones that did not want to give you money. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. that You guys, <laughs> all of you, hate, hated my guts. And I I was convinced. This is fun because, I you know, enough time has passed. We can talk about this freely. But I was convinced that you were the ringleader of that hate. <laughs> and uh, And that you hated me. Forever. <laughs> I don't hate anyone forever. Uh, but but young musicians that are listening, do not pay to play. It is not something you should do. The exposure will not be worth it. Booking is not something that happens anymore. But you've taken all of these things and all these experience and all that you've learned through all those years and turned it into something completely different, which is making movies and cinematography. Uh, talk to me about that whole switch. Were you always studying in cinematography? Was it always a passion and then, or was it something that came into your life later? No, it was always something that I wanted to do. Um, I think I have I'm a man of many passions, which sometimes gets me into trouble, but um, I, uh, yeah, I've always wanted to do film. And like when I was at Dawson, the student there, I was in the cinema communications program. Um, and I sort of been bound, I bounced back, um, professionally between filmmaking and, um, recreation. So like, uh, I work with, uh, currently I work at a, 
local college in, in, in Montreal, Marianopolis College. I work with uh, student clubs and activities and stuff. And so I were, I've been working in education for a long time. Um, and we got, we got some things in common there. And, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I, I like music is always, was always a passion and I still like to be involved in, in music and was a, uh, I still worked in music. I, um, I went on tour. I was a tour manager for, for Endast for a little bit and, uh, did a couple coast to coast tours. Uh, I book, I book some outdoor festivals in the summertime as well. Uh, shout out fringe festival. And, um, I, I have a hand in like event basically what it comes down to is like, I think, I think the merging of these two fields, like recreation and music came in, into, in event planning, uh, event planning in the form of concerts in the form of like other types of things. But as far as like movies go, it's like, like actually telling stories, uh, I think is, is a, a passion of mine. And I could use all the experience that I've had in like organizing, booking and touring and promoting recreation when it comes time to like put those stories into, uh, into action into like make a film with like, uh, a crew and budgets and producers and handling of, of different people in different departments and, um, so it's definitely like taps into that uh, that part of my brain that I think functions really well, um, and I, I think I'm a good storyteller as well. So uh, yeah, it's just always I've always just there's something about movies that have always just like hit me right in the good feels, you know. <laughs> so so you did release a killer movie, Woodland Gray, last year, critically acclaimed. You're you're, you're going to festivals now. Yeah, you were just at uh, Blood in the Snow earlier this fall. Uh, talk to me about creating this movie, where it came from. Um, first feature-length fiction, because you did the End as Where I Belong documentary, which was super sick. Uh, it's cool to see my friends on tour, and I was happy that you released that. I was happy when it came out. Uh, but talk to me about the creation of Woodland Gray and, and how it all came together, the story, and uh, why have this one be your first one that you turn into something massive, you know, because there are a lot of ideas that bounce around our heads. Why this one? Why is this the idea that got all the attention? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, the idea sort of came from this article that I read in a, it might've been like the New York times or something. It was a feature about this guy who was a hermit living in the woods. Uh, I believe it was like new England and, or maybe upstate New York. I actually, I kind of forget now, but, there's a guy living out there and uh, he would like sort of steal things from different cabins and houses around the area. And he lived on his own for like, like something like 20 years or something. Um, and then they finally caught him and he was in jail. And this journalist who was writing the story went to go see him. They had a bunch of conversations and it was just so fascinating. And one of the things I found really fascinating was, what would what would cause somebody to give up on everything and to go live in the woods as a hermit in the conditions that he did? And so that was sort of like the basis of the uh, the seed dropping to like think about what would this movie, what would this story be about? And I uh, started writing a little bit, and I think I was like sort of stuck, like twenty pages in, I would like write something. I'm like, nah, this isn't, maybe this is not the direction I want to go. And then I'd like try to write something else. Another 20 pages in, it wasn't really good. And, and so I put the, put a, a call out on, on Facebook about looking for a writing partner. And uh, a friend of mine responded, um, this guy, Jesse Tufexis, 
it's a friend of a friend who was uh, just started dating a friend of mine who they're now married now. And he's got a, a little daughter. We met up and we we're like, OK, let's let's going to start. Uh, we'll ju- I'll just toss out some ideas. The idea was like, let's meet up and like I'll toss out some ideas that I have. See what he thinks. See if it's like compatible for writing uh, together at some point. But by the end of that meeting, we were already writing we're like, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And it just like worked out so well. So together, he and I just sort of developed the story. We had an idea of like, well, what do we what do we want this story to really be about? We had an idea that, that we wanted it to be about grief and, and about regret and and, and the, how that weighs you down, weighs the soul down. Um, and how could we manifest that within this story? And it's just one of those, you know, like we had, I tossed out a bunch of different ideas that I'd been working on at the time, but it was the one that we both sort of like connected to. And and then when we wrote it, I, I, like at the end, we was it was really like, I was thinking this movie was going to be something like twenty to $30,000 movie. You know, we'll do like a Kickstarter campaign and we'll do like, we'll shoot it locally and we'll, we'll see what we could do, you know? Um, but uh, we got... Uh, it was one of those things very similar to i guess there's a common theme in my life about these like things that just start to pick up steam and sort of get a a little out of control and the next thing we know we have a movie that's like like three hundred thousand dollar film holy shit i had no idea it was that much yeah i mean films are expensive and (laughs) yeah wow (laughs) um yeah, films are expensive. And that's, you know, this movie was expensive. Now, I uh it was a I I <laughs> trying to find the the words to say this in a way that doesn't get me in trouble later, but like I didn't I wasn't in charge of all the decisions of like where money was being spent. And so the movie uh there was you know, there was there was it was a rocky road to make this movie. This movie took five years to make. Oh, really? See, I didn't know that um, either. Interesting. So, and I know that specifically because after um, my uh, after I had uh, eliminated all the cancer from my life in the in the literal term, um, I was like, I'm going to make this movie. I'm going to make a movie. I had already started to like write a little bit with Jesse, but like at one point, like I had uh, recovered and. Um, posted on Facebook that I'm going to be making a movie and I'm going to be documenting it day by day. And then wrote today is day number one and then kept track for five years. Um, and so I put, po- and, and because I wasn't like, I didn't post it every day, but I definitely posted quite like often enough, like a couple times a week or so. So people knew and it was, people were following it for like five years. And when I finally said the movie's done, I realized that I was, if I had waited just one more day, it would have been five years to the day. I didn't realize that when I posted it the next day, I was like, oh, shit. You, gotta, uh, you did it within the five-year mark, so that's cool. Within five years. That's right. Yeah, I could say it took me within five years. Um, so, you know, it took a long time. It's not supposed to take that long. Al- albums aren't supposed to take five years, but that happens with bands quite frequently. I am guilty of that. So, you know, life happens and and uh, that that's that's where it is. Uh, you mentioned cancer twice. I, I'd be remiss not to ask you about it and talk to you about once it was gone. You must have been afraid that you never accomplished things. So then you put the force out there, said, I'm going to make a movie because it's something you always wanted to do. 
Yeah, I just I feel that every day. Things that just accomplishing things that because because of what happened. I because I don't know. Look, my my cancer was I had colon cancer, and they caught it very early. And I, for all intents and purposes, my cancer was like a relatively easy fix. I had a foot of my colon removed from me, and. Uh, and that was it. Uh, I didn't have to do chemo. Um, but but I processed it like I was going to die. I don't know why I did that. I have I have I've like built an anxiety anxiety already. I have uh, hypochondrosis, as they call it. Um, hi, I'm a hypochondriac, um, but like not like in a funny bar joke kind of way. Like I literally. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Anyway, I just like I processed it like here I'm on my deathbed and I dealt with it as if I was like I was going to die and I like feel that way ever since. Um and I don't feel like I'm going to die every day, but I definitely feel every time there's a pain, every time that there's a uh something weird in my body, which happens to bodies. Bodies are weird and there's pains that happen all the time. Every time one of those things happen, I'm like, this is, this is it. It's back. Wow. You know, okay. and I've, I've had friends who have had cancer that was much like, st- like almost, uh, if not stage four heavy chemo treatments. And they're just like, Ugh, I just want to go to the mall <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they deal with everybody deals with it differently. And I feel a little bit like sometimes I'm, I'm, uh, this is weird. I don't know why I'm getting so deep into this, but like, whatever, here we are. Sometimes I feel bad about bringing it up because it wasn't as bad as like other, like so many people have it. I, for, I had, I had like, sometimes they even refer to it as cancer light because like, because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really that bad, but man, it, it, it messed me up, messed me up hard. Um, so like, yeah, I, I definitely was like, now I'm going to use this as like motivation to like push to make this thing happen because I've been talking about making a feature for a long time and making shorts for a long time. And so now it's like time. Um, but that feeling hasn't really gone away. Um, I, it's, it makes me want to do more. I was going to say that you should use it to, to motivate you to push yourself to do use it positively because it's a gift. Almost. You should look at it as a gift as opposed to it being hypo, I got it, hypochondrosis. You should use it as, as a gift to, 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 to fuel these, these passion projects, these projects that end up costing $300,000. At least it's not my money. Okay, so when we say $300,000, it's not like people are paying $300,000 into this. No, right? no, but you did, you did have a very cool sponsor, which is a good friend of ours. Back from 2002, 2003 era, I actually literally had a phone call with him today. Um, we're talking about Al Burbuhakis uh, from Heartbeat Hot Sauce. Can't love him enough. Um, I was talking to him today because... Um, Heartbeat Hot Sauce and Vox and Hops are coming back together. Makes me very happy. Love him to death. Uh, so he invested in the movie. He helped the project. Uh, talk to me about that, having to find financing for a movie. That, that's an extra stress. Uh, talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I would, Okay, for the record, I wanted to wear this this hoodie, but I'm sweating now. So you can imagine <laughs> <laughs> with wearing this hoodie and trying to like promo the... Um, yeah, I... So... We did a Kickstarter earlier on uh, in the process. We raised about $30,000. And uh, 
in that within that pro uh, after that process, we had a conversation where like, okay, look, we can make we can take this money and we can make a thirty thousand dollar movie with this money, or we can invest this money into a bunch of really boring but necessary things like getting a lawyer, getting a, an accountant, um, getting a casting agent, getting um, uh, a, a production company incorporated and doing all these things that would allow us to like reach out to more people, higher caliber of people, um, qualify us for for grants, qualify us for uh, Quebec tax credits. And so we were like, OK, well, let's let's do that. Um, and so we did that. Uh, we invested all the, uh, we invested that money into like all the boring stuff that you need to be able to get to the next level. And then when we did that, um, we we reached out to uh, Bill Mosley. Um, do you know who Bill Mosley is? The name sounds extremely extremely familiar. Uh, I see some of you guys nodding in the audience. There's uh, um, well, he's he's probably partially known for. Um, for being in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, part two, I think. Um, but he was also known for the Rob Zombie movie. Yes, um, okay. Uh, oh, my God. Now the name of the movie is escaping me. What is it? Somebody, House, somebody House of a Thousand Corpses. No, the, no, the, the one after that. Um, oh, damn, he, me too now. But he was in that one, but he was also like... Phil knows. No, you're muted, Phil. Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects. He, he put go. it on the thing. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, so he was like probably most famous for his role in devil's rejects. And we're like, Oh my God, let's reach out to you. Like on my wish list. And, and uh, we had a producer on board. His name is John Fallon. Great guy. He was like, I, I can reach out. I have sort of a connection we reached out and he, he read the script and he was like, yeah, I'm in. Uh, well, his, his people said he's in and I'm like, great. Um, and then we had, uh, we got in touch with, they're uh, they're like their manager or agent or something. And 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 she was like, all right, so we'd like to uh, come on board as partial investors um, and we'd like to have a couple uh, other people involved in the film as well. And we're like, great. Um, who who else? And uh, one of them is uh, um, I'm so bad at names. It's so funny. Uh, <laughs> one of them is the guy who played Captain Spaulding. From the from House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, um, I don't and, know his uh, name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? And and um, the the girl, the woman who played the girl in Halloween Four, <laughs> Sid Haig is the Sid um, Haig. Yes, thank you. Sid Haig is the is the other person. Metal and then, architect uh, smashing it in the chat. Yeah, just like this is a, <laughs> this is awesome. Um, and uh, we're like, oh my god! So you do mean to tell me that like all three of these people are going to be in the movie? And they're like, yeah. And then <laughs> they're like, okay, but like, we're going to send you some money, but you have to send us some money. And it's like, I was really involved in this process, but then somebody sent them some money and then they fucked off. And it turned out that, uh, that she, like that, that, that person was, uh, she was pregnant, like seven months pregnant. And we're like, we're shooting in a month. We can't have a pregnant woman in the woods <laughs> on a low budget feature that has not like that doesn't have a pregnant woman in the story. <laughs> and if you've seen the movie, you can just imagine how how could you how would that even fit <laughs> considering all the details of the character, the only like the main female character. Anyway, so we lost that money, but then we had uh, other investors who came in on board when we got Art Hindle on board, uh, who is uh, from Porky's and Black Christmas. Um, so so that was pretty cool. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, we had some investors who came in on there. We work with um, uh, a bunch of different uh, different production companies. Um, and uh, uh, now, oh my God, I'm trying to remember the name. This, this, this beer, I shouldn't have drinking this beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like rambling already. Anyway, the story. The long story short is like our uh, with with post production and everything, all that compiled in, it comes out to about three hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Um, so like, not all of it is like cash out of like out of pocket. Some of it is is like in service. Um, people and, and like when the movie gets money that it goes to, I'm never going to, people ask me this all the time. You're going to make it. Are you making any money off of this? I'm like, no, I will never see one <laughs> red cent out of this uh, movie. The, all the money is going to go to like distribution first and then paying off post-production second. And then like all the investors third. And then like maybe me like at the very bottom, boop, boop. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. It's not really, it's not really the point to make, to make money, but that's how you, that's how you sort of like, you know, everything has a path and we just sort of found the path and found investors and found people along the way. And it was, it was crazy. But at one point we almost had Bill Mosley. I'm glad we don't have Bill Mosley because like the movie would be not that I'm glad, but like Ryan Blakely, who's in this movie, who plays the role that Bill would have had kills it. Like we, the movie would not be what it is if it wasn't for the cast we had. Um, so like, um, you know, like Jenny Raven and Ryan Blakely, who are two leads, they're just like phenomenal. So in, in, a, in a way, like having this crazy story about having these like people that I idolized and thought would be really cool to have in the movie. Yeah, it would have been cool, but it would have been a totally different movie. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right. I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Metal and movies. Uh, right now in Quebec, there's a big production that went out called Le Plongeur uh, that has a bunch of metal music in it. Uh, talk to me about metal and movies, the Metallica thing that happened in Stranger Things. Well, what is your opinion on metal and coming into movies and you mentioned Devil's Rejects. Obviously, Rob Zombie is probably the most metal director. Is there a future for metal and movies melding? And especially for you and your future projects. Yeah, for sure. There's a there's actually a, a great documentary out there uh, called The History of Metal and Horror. Uh, and, it, and it's a documentary that talks about the, that connection. It's, it's, it's great. You should check it out. I think that... Uh, yeah, I mean, metal has a place in movies for sure. I mean, I, and I like that it's, uh, 
um, it, it's out there because I, I think it's in, in many ways it's a, a a gateway for for accessibility for people who don't really know. I've never really been exposed to metal. Look, look at uh, Ace Ventura is the first thing that comes to mind about that. Oh yeah, I mean, oh god, that's <laughs> it's classic. It's so great, and at the time, it's interesting because like when I, when that came out, I thought they were making fun of metal, and only when I realized later that Jim Carrey was a metal fan and he had like specifically chosen, and I saw like in the Cannibal Corpse album that like you see pictures of them on the set and everything that I realized this was like an homage. This was like a Let's showcase how awesome this is. Um, yeah, I think when people think of metal who don't listen to metal already, they think of like one of two things in its extremes. They either think of like, yeah, man, I really like metal and it's like Limp Bizkit or something. Or <laughs> I really or I can't listen to metal because all I could hear is a... And, um, and neither of those is what's good about metal. So when you're exposed to something like uh, Zombieland is a great, great exa- example of the beginning of Zombieland is like there you have like um, for whom the bell tolls uh, at the beginning and people like zombies running in slow motion is like it's so cinematic. Um, I think these are opportunities for people to be like, oh, that's cool. I like that. Let me check out the soundtrack. Let me check it out on Spotify. Let me see what the, this music is all about. Um, yeah, I mean, in many ways, metal has a very like cinematic quality to it and you know what i want you to write i want you to write the obey the flame movie where it's a it's <laughs> it's <laughs> you're a promoter and you're in over your head i think someone would like to see that movie <laughs> i think they they called it wayne's world 2 <laughs> <laughs> steph just wrote in the chat too <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny that's so good oh man Brutal. <laughs> did the movie um, back to Woodland Grace? Did, did a did it exceed your expectations? Like you, you finally make this movie. You you're encouraged to make it because you're afraid that you're going to die, and not accomplish this feat that you had set in your mind. Did it exceed your expectations once it was finished? The the reception of it. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, it, I look, I think that, uh, I think in many respects, like it's sort of normal for artists to feel that sometimes, like they put a lot of effort into it. And then it's like, what are those things that like, it doesn't. Yeah. And you know, uh, you're like never fully satisfied. And the thing is like, if you start something that's five years long, you're a different person at the end of that journey. So like what you liked about those songs that you started writing five years ago, and that script that you started writing five years ago to the time that it was completed is like, I like I wouldn't have written it that way or I wouldn't have done these things. I feel like I've matured a lot in five years as an artist. So the the, the bumps in, uh, along the way, I, I I wasn't really like, yeah, I definitely would do things dramatically different the next time I go around. Um, uh, to be honest, I thought it would have a little bit more uh, um, of a reception than it did. Let me make this clear, though. I am a so thankful for the reception that it's had so like every festival that has accepted me every nomination that i've got every award that i receive i i am honestly humbled like i was at horror hound weekend in uh cincinnati and i won like 
<laughs> I won so many awards that night that I was embarrassed to get up and do another <laughs> speech. Um, but then you have that compared to like reviews and some of the reviews saying like, this is the probably the, one of the worst films I've ever seen. But well, you, you only remember that one, right? That's all you remember. You don't remember the all awards. You remember. It's well, I just sort of like balance it off. It's like, what, <laughs> what does any of this stuff even really mean? Right. So I think that, I think that I'm, I'm definitely more proud of completing a film and I'm proud that it's this film. I'm proud that it's a good movie. Um, did it exceed my expectations? No, but I also feel like possibly there were, yeah, that, that's impossible under the circumstances. You know, it's just like, I could, I don't think I could, could have done that but going next time. Who knows? I just like, man, I just love telling stories. I love making movies. I love making art. I love creating stuff. And if I get to do that and people like what I'm making, some people do, if it connects with people in some way, and it's not the easiest movie to connect with. It's not a straightforward film, but if, if it makes that connection, man, that's the stuff, that's the stuff that feels good. I know, I know you feel it too, right? Like you make stuff when it making it and then having it connect with people. That's like most of the thing that's, basically the it's not the financial reward it's exactly that that reciprocal circle of us giving and the fans giving it back whether it be positive or negative because you can take those negative things and fuel the future thing to make it even more you know because there's constructive criticism which is interesting and then there's just people that say that this is garbage <laughs> which which you know it could be a bit more constructive um something that is interesting just like my journey throughout that early 2000s scene here in montreal the amount of connections that i made the amount of amazing things that happened uh in my career thanks to those years probably drinking too many vodka shots at fofo and electric um what has come from woodland gray that is going to be your next path have you have you already seen these like the spider web growing because of what you've created yeah, that's a that's a good question. I definitely I think as a result of going to different festivals, I've made connections with different people who I think will be a really nice network to to um, to work alongside in, in various ways moving forward. It's definitely made me a lot smarter of like how to go about doing these things. Um, I mean, some of the crew that we had on the film I'd never worked with before. Graham, our our DP, is just like our director of photography. This incredibly gifted guy, and uh, he's he's young dude. It's just amazing, um, and it sort of strengthened some of the 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 bonds that I had with crew members that I've worked with before. Um, and I, I yeah, um, I think we're just gonna see where where this takes me. I don't know. Once I once I start pitching the next project. Then, then we're really going to see where these, uh, who's going to come out of the woodwork from the previous project and moving forward. It's going to be exciting. I'm curious to see what happens. I guess for the band, it's easier because we just write songs and then like those ideas stick together and grow. I guess it's probably the same thing for writing a movie. How do you know which ideas is the next one that you should be working on? Because there's countless, countless never-ending divergencies of different ideas that you can go. How do you know that what the next one is and it's the good idea? The next, uh, the, the follow-up, it's always so stressful. Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, at least with music, 
you have your own set of challenges, but like you could choose 10 or 12. To put exactly. You have to choose one. That's the single that out of the 10 or 12. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know the answer to that question because I'm still trying to figure it out. So like I have three or four different films that I'm developing right now. Um, I don't know which one, I, I guess the one I should be working on is the one that I'm the most passionate about. And because I'll be spending the next few years of my life focusing on that specifically. Um, it, I don't know. I don't know which one is the right choice to make, but I guess for me, that's the only choice is like, which is the one that like makes me pa- the most passionate about, you know, what is, what am I going to work the most towards? You don't want to be stuck in a, five-year loop of something you don't like anymore yeah exactly you don't you know nobody wants that nobody wants to see the results of that like that would be awful no one no one wants that so yeah especially if i'm at i'm at a point where my career where i'm like i this isn't i'm not making any money off of this uh that like by the you know that should give me the freedom to do whatever i want because um no one's paying the bill so there's a there's a weird freedom um in, 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 in that I just gotta, I just gotta pick. So, yeah. So I have, there's a couple ones that I, that I'm working on right now that I'm feeling really passionate about. And, uh, I think I'm, I'm trying to narrow it down to three that are relatively different genres. Uh, and then see which one, I mean, there's another one is like, because movies are so expensive. It's like, who, who, which one are people going to support? So put it out there and see, you know, out of the three movies that I'm passionate about, if this is the one that the money is going to come in for, then then the, the decision's made for me. Interesting. Interesting. In that same vein, would you be open to, and is this, I don't know what the, the artistic creative mindset is, um, going straight to a streaming service, let's say having a, like a Netflix pick it up or an Amazon is that something that you'd be open to or is that looked at? And I, I don't know the answer to this. So I apologize if I'm being rude as, as like selling out. No, it's definitely not selling out. There's like monetary concerns about doing that because if it goes to Netflix, that's where it, that's where it goes and that's where it stays. So, um, you know, what we're doing right, right now with Woodland Gray, it's, it's on a video on demand so people can pay for it as a, uh, as a, uh, you know, by, I guess, piecemeal, I suppose. It's a way to say it, but, um, so it, the income can keep happening, but once you know Netflix buys it, they're not going to pay very much for it, and it's not going to cover the cost of the production. But then you're sort of stuck with without being able to monetize it. Um, so I mean, look, I would if if, if Woodland Grape was on Netflix tomorrow, I'd be ecstatic. That would be so exciting. But it like monetarily, feasibility wise, it doesn't doesn't make any sense to do, to do it that way. Um, so, you know, it, it depends if Netflix were to hire me and like <laughs> they were hiring me as a director to then it's a different story, totally, totally different story. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Good to know. Because of Netflix, anyone listening, Vox and Hops, hire my friend, Adam Ryder, killer director. Uh, he, he's got all these ideas. He's got the, he's got three or four of them. He's saying, come on, people. Uh, I'm going to open up the floor to the Thirsty Thursday gang for some questions. Uh, who is first? I can only imagine the fastest gun in the West. The... <laughs> oh, for the first time ever, he has been beaten. Uh, we got Brian. Brian, um, what's your question for Adam Ryder? Um, 
it may have been a while. I'm not sure you talked about some bands that had to drop off of different festivals or shows for whatever various reasons of the bands that have not been able to show, which one would you have been most excited to see if you haven't seen them already? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, Meshuggah for sure. I would have, that would have been amazing if Meshuggah had, had been able to play, uh, they would have played it for funds. Uh, I don't know where in the world you are, but this venue is relatively small. It's maybe 400 people, I think. And um, that would have just like been, would have been amazing to see them back. Like they, I think they had just come out with chaos. Sphere I think or that's exactly that. It was right before nothing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good album too. That would have been fun. Would have been bonkers. So I would, I would have like fanned out about that for sure. I, I wish that would have happened. Awesome. Also, I guess also glad it didn't happen because I wouldn't have been able to pay them. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would know this fucking asshole from Montreal. <laughs> so maybe it's better this way. Damn. Phil Dervites from the Whispers from the Void podcast. I was beaten by Brian. First time. First time it's ever. It's the first. <laughs> hey, my ball slipped. <laughs> anyway, my question. Um, I, I, I was thinking about it and I was like, what would be your next movie? Like an idea for a next movie. If you want to do one, of course. Yeah. Well, I have um, three different films that are sort of like in the, the planning in the, uh, In development, um, the writer universe. <laughs> yeah, in the writer. Actually, it's funny. There is there is like one thing that sort of ties a lot of my films together. I use this one name, um, uh, the last name of Goldfarb. I don't know why, but it was like I used it in my first film, first short film, and then like so every now and then you could hear the name Goldfarb. It's in Woodland Gray too, um, and that's sort of like the the writer universe. Uh, yeah, there's like a bunch of different films that I have uh, ideas for, but. There's one um, that uh, that I'm, I guess I'm working on right now that uh, I, I give you like a very basic pitch for it, um, but I, don't, I yeah. can't give too much away. It's essentially about a, um, a guy who's like prepping for the apocalypse um, because he thinks it's cool. He's like caught up in that like prepper type of world. And then the apocalypse actually happens and he's like, oh, fuck. Um It's a very dark comedy. I can't. I can't give you more information oh, than that. But no, because like you, you told me that, I was like, "Is it like the tavern before the end of the world or something like this?" No, no, it's <laughs> definitely last tavern or last pub. I, I don't remember the type of that the name of the movie, but I was like, "Oh shit!" It sounds comic. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely funny, but it's not funny for everybody. Funny, it's like funny for. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> i think you, you gotta if you do it you gotta get nick offerman to play the guy though yeah okay <laughs> that, that would work and yeah. you have to and, and you have to get cryptopsy <laughs> just like doing like cannibal corpse kind of cameo but with cryptopsy <laughs> I'm, 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 i'm down we'll talk though okay sweet we'll get my agent to call your agent <laughs> thanks phil We have uh, the Metal Architect, the man that creates all the playlists for Vox and Hops. Go for it, bud. Uh, a movie that most people probably don't know about that you think is, like, severely underrated or, like, more people should have their eyes on it. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. 
I don't, one of my favorite movies is probably the most uh, underrated film. And uh, it's not that unpopular, but most people hate this movie. Um, I think that The Village by M. Night Shyamalan is amazing. It definitely deserves a rewatch. That movie was given a huge disservice by a uh, advertising campaign that advertised it as a horror film. When it's really a drama um, and changes the way you look at that movie. And it's beautifully shot by uh, Roger Deakins. It's just such a beautiful film. Uh, it's got lots of really cool parts in it. Um, definitely, definitely check that out. Uh, I'm trying to think of like what what did I what have I watched recently that uh, you should check out the the original um, um, Good Night Mommy. I know they redid it in English. I haven't seen it, but there's a movie. I think it's in Swedish, possibly, and it's called Good Night Mommy, uh, and it's so creepy. It's great. I love it. Yeah, yeah I think out. I think I've seen the village. I, I used I, I'm gonna date myself. I, I worked at Blockbuster for, for a while during my college years and looking at the the uh art for the village, I think I've seen it. And then it's got Adrian Brody in it, so I definitely probably saw it. I I love the jacket, if you've ever seen the jacket. No, I yeah. haven't seen the jacket. But... Oh man, that's such a good like psychological thriller where he's like a hey. uh, a war vet and he like has flashbacks they lock him in like a put him in a straight jacket and put him in a um like in a morgue like in one of the meet in the one of the lockers in the morgue and he and like he, he like they inject him with some stuff and he like has all these like crazy flashbacks it's really really fucking crazy dude. yeah good. that's cool that's awesome yeah i'm gonna check it out yeah definitely gonna go back and watch the village again yeah 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 it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. It's a drama, not a horror, people. Come on. Come on. It's a drama, not a horror. There's horror elements in it, but it's it's great. It's, uh, you know, M. Night Shyamalan gets a bad rap, and, like, you know, you can have a conversation about his later career, but that movie is, I, I would say, his best. We got uh, Steph. Go for it. You're next, bud. Hey, so quick question. Um, as the, uh, I'm, I'm a college dropout in cinema, so I just want to know how many post-it or notes in your phone you have of ideas that you're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll start writing something about that at some point. So many. So many, dude. And that's okay. I think that's okay. It's good. You just write all those things down. Um, but then, you know, sometimes just try to, pick one of those doesn't matter and write for like 20 minutes and see what comes up. Um, that's where, that's when the real magic happens, but like lists and lists and lists of like, you know, movies and types of movies. And I had a, I have a whole section of like pandemic movies. Like, how do I make a movie with nobody around? You know, how do I do that? And just writing all these things. So like, um, yeah, if you have, if you have a list, I think that's a good sign. It's cool. I think some of my favorite movies are movies that could be plays and because the script, the script is rocking. I think that's, that's something that's missing in a lot of modern movies, uh, big money movies, more money invested in CGI and less. If, if money. you go to old Kevin Smith movies, it's all like dialogue. So that could easily be a play and it's all like very still shots and it, it works as a yeah. wonderful wall. So. Check out uh, Buried, the movie Buried with Ryan, uh, what's his name? You know, Reynolds, there it is, Ryan Reynolds. It takes place entirely in a coffin, and it's, and it's amazing. It's just so tense, 
It's really good. Adam, I have one last question for you. Uh, thank you so much, first off, hanging out with the Thirsty Thursday gang and myself, talking about Woodland Gray, uh, your feature film that came out award-winning. So cool. My friend made an award-winning fil- film. Come on. It's so goddamn cool. Um, I'm doing a new segment called Fight the Hops, where... I asked my guests about something they're working on. It could be something for themselves, something for their career, a small goal that they hope to accomplish within the next month or two. What have you been doing to fight the hops? Man, I have a, we talked briefly about like making music on your own. And so this is something different, but I have a, uh, a doom project called Baker Miller pink that I, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that I have, I have a couple of songs up on Spotify, but like, I am going to be recording, going into a studio to record, uh, a a song or two. Uh, and I'm hoping to have some, like some new music. I haven't had some new music up in a couple of years, but I'm hoping to get some new music up in the next month or so. Um, so that's, uh, yeah. That's way outside my comfort zone, but I'm stoked to be able to put something up. That's awesome. That excites me. When you, when you do, you send it my way, and I'll drop it into the Thirsty Thursday gang on Facebook, or you can drop it in yourself, and I will make sure everyone understands who it's from. Uh, Adam, thank you so, so much for taking the time, hanging out with me, the Thirsty Thursday gang, talking about your life, talking about music, talking about being a cinematographer, writer, director. It's so fucking cool. Uh, everyone, please go check out Woodland Gray. It's awesome. You're, you're going to enjoy it. Massive cheers to you, to the Thirsty Thursday gang. I had a blast. I hope that you guys did too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome, awesome conversation. We talked a lot about Obey the Flame Fest, and I'm stoked that Adam was so open about the whole thing. Um, it wasn't my intention to do that, but it just, I was so fascinated about it, and it's such a vivid memory of mine, and I had no idea that all this backstory stuff was happening. So, massive thanks to Adam for being super open about that. The movie is just incredible. You guys could definitely check it out, Woodland Gray. I put the link to watch it on demand in the description of this podcast go check it out you will not be disappointed it's fucking weird but it's fucking awesome massive cheers to adam for hanging out with me i'm stoked to hang out face to face it's obviously been far too long but now if you enjoyed this vox and hops episode you should sign up to the vox and hops middle podcast mailing list you can do that on my website voxandhops.com that's v-o-x-a-n-d-h-o-p-s.com when you do that you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened in the past week in the world of the vox and hops middle podcast you'll get to see which episodes I drop. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. You will also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. And you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' metal architect himself, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. There is always a lot of stuff going on in the world of the Vox and Hops metal podcast, and I hate when you miss a single thing, so please sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops metal podcast is brought to you by Sound, Talent Media, and Evergreen Podcast. I hope that you have a killer month of April, everyone, because I am going to be taking a break. April is an off month for Vox and Hops. I will be back with brand new episodes on May 2nd. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hello out there. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. 
We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!